0: Welcome to the Ephesians 3 podcast. Here you can listen to the student talks given at Ephesians 3, a weekly fellowship where students at Newman Parish in Columbia, Missouri speak on topics of faith and experience fellowship and life-giving community. Based on the passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17-19, through 19, the ministry seeks to lead students deeper in the Catholic faith through community, conversation, and prayer. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Started in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come through Mary, teach us to pray. Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this day, for the gift of our lives. We thank you for loving us such that you would come and die for us. you would take upon a cross that did not belong to you so that we might have eternal life with you and our father in heaven should we be humble and bold enough to respond to that gift jesus i ask that you would send your most holy spirit to this room tonight to go before us always i ask that your holy spirit would guide my words guide our hearts guide our minds to be docile and receptive to the ways in which you you are moving and you are working. Jesus, you are constantly pursuing us. Every heart you desire to be in perfect union with your own most sacred heart. May we have the humility to surrender. Mary, star of the new evangelization, queen of heaven and earth, queen of all the saints, we come to you this evening as your children, sons, and daughters. We beg your intercession, your son before heavenly father we just ask mary that you would take all of our needs all of our intentions our doubts worries fears anxieties hopes dreams wants that you would purify them perfect them and with your grace bring them before your son and treasure them in your most immaculate heart we ask you to wrap your mantle around us tonight to be with us not only now but in the days weeks and months of the semester to come Together we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, grace the the Lord is with thee. Blessed
1: Blessed art thou among women,
0: and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners sinners now and at the hour
0: of our death. Amen. St. Francis of Assisi. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to start the timer here. Okay. Thank you all for joining this evening for coming to Ephesians 3, whether this is your first time here, um, you've been coming for a couple of years, it is really good that you're here. And I want you to know before we begin, you belong here and you have a place here in this community. And I hope that tonight you will walk away, not only having learned something um, from this talk or maybe, um, yeah, from a friend, but that you would know that this is a place that is hopefully not just a once a week I don't know, place to pass through, but that there's actually a community here for you at Mizzou um, of brothers and sisters who want you to know Christ and to feel at home in his church. So you get nothing else. That's what matters. That's the truth. You belong here. I'd like to begin tonight um, by reading from you from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a book that I'd like to say I read often, but someday I'll read it more. But it's beautiful, and it grounds what I want to talk about um, tonight, which is the importance of the saints and the friendship of the saints on our path towards holiness. So this is how it begins. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. There's a lot of important things in here, but something had to come first. This is what Mother Church in her wisdom gives us. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time... And in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men scattered and divided by sin into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son as redeemer and savior. In his son and through him, he invites men to become in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children, and thus heirs of his blessed life. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, becoming heirs of his blessed life, which is another name for saying becoming saints. Um, Pope Benedict is quoted as saying something along the lines of the following, that the world offers us comfort, but that we are not made for comfort. We're made for greatness. Um, Another way of saying that is that we're called to be saints. And this is something that that word could be, I don't know, tossed around lightly. Oh, be a saint, not a sinner. Um, Oh, she's such a saint. She's so good. She's so holy. But what does that actually mean? Um, And it's something that if we keep that word kind of up on a shelf as this unattainable, um, I don't know, this ideal, which it is, but it doesn't mean something to us personally. It will only intimidate us, right? Um, And that's not why we have the saints. That's That's not why God does anything to separate us from him. He only wants to draw us into himself. And... Another, another line from the catechism that is just so beautiful um, says the following, by canonizing, so by, by boldly proclaiming that these souls, these human beings born in sin, fallen, imperfect, mortal beings, that we can boldly proclaim that they are in heaven with our creator. That is what it means to be canonized. And that is what we are with authority saying about men and women through the ages, throughout the centuries, we're saying the following that they practice heroic virtue and lived in fidelity to God's grace, and that the church recognizes the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of holiness within her and sustains the hope of believers by proposing the saints as models and intercessors. This is the line that, uh, as I was thinking about this talk, I was like, everyone needs to know this. The saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult moments in the church's history. And it's no secret, if you look around us, um, not every spot is filled in our churches. The pews are not filled. Um, and we have brothers and sisters, family members, friends who, uh, by name, we know their story, have, have chosen to leave the church, have fallen away. And our Lord promises us that he he will protect and steward and guide his church. And part of the way he has fulfilled that promise throughout the ages is raising up the saints. Um in a culture, right, in this world around us, society, whatever you want to call it, um, that tells us that, you know, you do you. I'll do me. You do you. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. Um, this idea that we can invent ourselves and whatever we invent is, you know, that's good for you, right? It's really hard to recognize. it's And amidst that noise, right, that you see in print, that you hear um, over a podcast in the classroom, like it's everywhere. You do you. It's hard to recognize the deep, deep truth and yearning within every human heart that we are made in the image and likeness of something and not just something, but someone. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And what that means for us is that there is a pattern of what we are intended to be and who we are intended to become. And for us, right? We're created things. You didn't decide to exist, right? Something, someone created you, but you're here. That should be liberating, you make sense. You're not random. It's not up to you to discover what holiness looks like. Um, But the reality is that we have this journey to travel, right? Like who we are now, um, I'll be the first to say, I I don't think I'm going to, I don't think that I I merit the title of saint right now. There are parts of my life that are not perfectly worked out. There are ways in which I fail to love. um, I struggle to trust. uh, I fail to choose the good. There are plenty of those ways that are very clear in my life right now. But I know what I want. I want to be in heaven with my heavenly father. I want to delight in the love and the radiant light of the blessed Virgin Mary. I want to see the halls of heaven filled with the saints. But that journey from where I am now to where I want to go, that can feel infinite. Does anyone ever feel that that is, I don't know. I don't hike much, but I imagine like looking up from the base of a mountain is pretty discouraging. I hiked the Camino. Actually, this is not written down. I hiked the Camino this summer and I did not train. Uh, and I knew that I didn't train because by the end of the Camino, I was in dire condition. I was like, I think I tore my ACL. I didn't tear my ACL, but I was just really worn out. And that is how we can feel in a spiritual, <laughs> spiritual life, right? Like, oh, gosh, like I'm trying to be patient, but this person is just driving me nuts. I can't do it, right? That discouragement comes in so quickly. And the church knows this. When I say the church, I'm talking about something very particular. The Catholic Church um, has stewarded and shepherded the wisdom of Christ entrusted to the apostles throughout the ages. Um, and she's given us something to, to kind of wrap our minds around. I'm here at the base of this mountain. And if I envision the heavens at the top, how do I get there? She actually names what we need to do. Um, and that our growth in holiness corresponds to a growth in virtue. That's an important word that I want us to talk about tonight. Um, and to do that, I'm also going to turn back to Faithful Friend, Catechism. And just offer you the following. A virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to do the good. It allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. The virtuous person tends toward the good with all his sensory and spiritual powers. He pursues the good and chooses it in concrete actions. The goal of a virtuous life is to become like God, to become like God. That is a big statement. That's exactly what we're here to do. That is why you were created. You are created to be with him forever. And to be with him, we actually need to be transformed into him. And I would imagine, um, yeah, many of you might have a similar experience, right? That seeking to grow in virtue, we can go from I don't care, right? That's one place of I'll do whatever I want. Um, So maybe we're like starting to care. Maybe you're at that point in college, the point in the semester where you're like, yeah, like made some decisions. It's not exactly how I would like to start off the college career. I'm a couple years in and still doesn't really feel awesome. And I I just keep showing up and doing the things. Um, And again, that that spirit of discouragement is loud and it can be isolating and we're not made for isolation. We're made for communion. It's called the communion of saints. And in these ways that we might struggle in virtue to be more patient, to be more chaste, to be more merciful, all of these things, like, it's real. And the struggles you're facing, like, they are real. So I want to name, like, perfection is is not the goal that we're going for on our own. Perfection by grace is actually what we're made for. And this man this is so good. The Lord knows this. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows that that person in your class that you're really hoping doesn't sit next to you because they just really like you're trying to grow in patience and this person won't stop talking. Like he knows, he knows all of that. He knows that dialogue that you're having in your head, maybe outside of your head. Um, And he does more than just know it. He actually did something about it. He became incarnate. He came and took on human flesh. Jesus Christ is the second person of the most holy trinity, and he came to be with us to dwell among us. Um, and as he ascended into heaven and sent forth his Holy Spirit before us, um, there it is. As he sent forth his Holy Spirit, um, he entrusted his body to her, his living body, which is the church. And. Um, we call it the body of Christ for a reason. We believe that Christ is the head and that we, uh, we make up its members. We are the body. Um, and if this is true, right, like if Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead, which he did, if he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he willed that his church would uh, carry on his mission here on earth until he comes again, it matters who's in it. And we know that we are surrounded not just by sinners but by saints. And this is where the communion of saints comes in. Um, and I would dare to say, this is a bold statement. Um, I would dare to say that if Jesus in instituting his church, his bride, um, and and entrusting her to the guidance and wisdom of the Holy spirit did so knowing that there would be saints raised up over the course of generations, he did that because he wants that for us. That's not for him. That's for us. So I would go as far as to say, um, that what the saints reveal to us in their lives is actually more than just like a heroic human life. They actually reveal Christ to us because they're exemplifying what it means to participate in the body of Christ. To know the saints is to actually know Christ himself living in the world today in a way that we can recognize. Think about that. The God of the universe created you and knows you perfectly. He wants to continue knowing you, right? And how how is he going to do that, right? He's putting people in your lives that are a way for him to work, right? Someone who can, who can see you and name a truth and actually call out a lie. And he's done that in the saints as well. And he's elevated these souls to the heights of heaven, not just as these like shining things off in the distance, but as actual friends to be companions to us on the journey. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the goal. We just want to be another Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian, to be a little Christ. And going from uh, some of that background, some of that foundation, um, to a little bit more of my own story, I grew up Catholic, um, and I grew up treating religion class as another class that I needed to take. Um, If anything, it felt like it was a hindrance at times to my academic classes. Um, And I was pretty good at spitting out definitions. I probably could have defined the virtues or told you the order of the sacraments. Um, But it it wasn't personal. It didn't mean something to me. And I'm Yeah, I'm really grateful that I grew up in a family where my parents, uh, we had important conversations at the dinner table. We talked about moral issues and things that um, we were discussing in the classroom. So by no means was I off alone on a path of darkness and despair, but I certainly wasn't choosing a life with Christ at the center. And that continued into college. And at the end of college, I experienced really beautiful and radical conversion um, by way of honestly pretty holy friendships around me. That was a really big factor for me. but it actually went beyond just my human friendships and these new friendships to actually heavenly friendships. Uh, you would have told me that three years ago, I'd be standing up here telling you that the saints are some of my best friends. I probably would have done one of these, looked at you and like, really? Okay, nice. Um, but here I am, and it's true. And the saints are some of my very best friends, and the ones who know me the best, and who actually are able to will my good perfectly, like even my earthly friends cannot do. Um, and I think that this this mindset shift as someone who was seeking good grades in religion class, right? Like, and how many of us can be caught up in, you know, a chase of perfection? Has anyone ever been tempted by perfectionism in this room? Yeah, there's a lot of head nodding. It's real and it's vicious. Um, and it distracts us from what is most important, which is that we're made for relationship, relationship with the Lord. Um, And how I came to go from, okay, I know these things about the faith. Like I know these vocab terms. I know these things I'm supposed to do, these sins I'm not supposed to commit, right? Like I know these things. It didn't mean anything in my heart And the distance from head to heart. It's a long way to travel, especially if you're stubborn like I have been. Um, But there are a couple of saints who, by way of good holy human friends, right, who maybe read a book or heard a podcast, um, they just introduced me to them. They're like, you know, I think you would like this. It was that simple. It it wasn't like this profound lightning strike St. Paul moment. Um, But it's like, you know, you just kind of like, you kind of remind me of her. You seem to have like a similar temperament disposition. She seems to care about that thing you care about. And I was just in a place of receptivity. That's how grace works. Like grace is always seeking to change our lives if only we will allow it. Um, So maybe that's You know, something the Lord's inviting you to think about tonight, right? Like, how is he inviting you to go deeper? What is that step? And I would propose to you just a couple of examples in my own life of how knowing the saints very personally um, has actually illuminated my mind to a deep truth that the church had been trying to teach me or led me to virtue that I actually on my own couldn't achieve by way of the lives of these saints. Um, The first man, I got to start with her because she's my spiritual best friend, St. Edith Stein also known as St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Um, I could give a whole talk maybe for hours and hours about her, so I'm going to keep it to a couple of minutes. But if you want to talk about her, find me after this. Um, she lived at the start of the 20th century, born in um, Breslau, uh, Germany, which is like near modern-day Poland-ish. The boundaries were moving at the time. Um, she was a brilliant woman, born into a Jewish family, a uh, big intellect, Um, She actually renounced her Jewish faith for a period of time, became an atheist and a very, very intelligent atheist that had very good arguments for why God was not real. um, And went on to study philosophy at one of the most prestigious universities in all of Europe in the at the start of the 20th century. Um, And it was there that she encountered, honestly, pretty similarly to me, a, a group of people who were living this Catholic faith that gave her pause. Like, what is that? These people are really smart What what do you mean that at the end of the day, this is all about God? Like that was a challenge to her, right? These people that she respected challenged her to go deeper. Um, And gosh, could talk about how it happened in a lot of different ways. But in one of the most profound um, instances of grace in her life, she was visiting a friend. She was on vacation. That friend had a beautiful library and she, she was a studious woman. She liked to read. Um, And she found a book, and that book happened to be the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila, the great Carmelite reformer, one of the doctors of the church today, the doctor on prayer, actually. And in a night, she read the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila. I've tried to read it. I could barely get there a couple pages in a week, but she read it in a night. And at the end, she closed the book and she said, this is the truth. She was baptized that January. This was in the fall. She was baptized that January and she went on to teach um, at a Dominican school for girls for about 10 years, having recognized a call to, to enter the convent as a Carmelite nun, but unable to do so because of the strife it caused in her family um, until later when she did. She did join the Carmelites, uh, but she she went on in those years after her conversion to write about something very important to her. And that was the identity um, And the truth about the essence of what it means to be a woman what is femininity something that in the world at the time there was a lot of discussion about a lot of um debate ideas swirling around and what she wrote glorified the wisdom of the church about male and female he created them that the model of perfect femininity is our blessed mother in the way that she's perfectly receptive and empty of self so as to usher the life of another And so perfectly empty of self, she was actually able to receive God himself, and that that's the goal for every feminine soul. And that to be a wife and a mother is not a burden. It's actually the greatest gift that women have to offer to the world. And to be a mother does not only mean that you have biological children, but it actually means it's how you relate to others, that you would receive their stories, that you would receive their lives. And she wrote essays and delivered lectures about this. And as I read this, right, this is me two and a half years ago, sitting in the church reading this. I felt like she was talking to me. So I was sitting there about to make a decision about what to do at the end of college. And I I had this ideal of an 80 hour work week in Washington, D.C. where I was gonna wear high heels in my suit and me, myself and I were gonna take over and fix everything. Um, And I honestly, at the time, I don't think I would have been bold enough to name it, but my views about what it meant to be a woman were really distorted and really influenced by the culture around me. And it took St. Edith Stein, actually calling it what it was, inspired by grace, cooperating with the Lord, to write and name a deep truth that I on my own couldn't even recognize I was searching for. And if you know me, you know that I give out the copy right here, Essays on Women. If you can read, you should read it. I think all of you can probably read. It's amazing, men, it's beautiful. But it changed everything. And the wisdom of the church about male-female complementarity is the greatest gift that we have to offer the culture today that is lost and confused and searching and hurting and suffering. And this woman who died a martyr in Auschwitz because of her Jewish blood changed my life with what she wrote. And when I read her writing, I think of it and I'm like I just want to get coffee with her and ask her a question. I just want to talk to her. I just want to know like oh if you only wrote one more page, oh I have a question. And it feels like a real person because she is a real person. We are made with an eternal soul. She is real. And it's not a coincidence that I encountered her when I did, by way of her writings from a trusted friend. It's very ordinary how the saints interrupt our lives, but it's extraordinary what they seek to do. I could talk about Saint Edith Stein for a long, long time, but there are a couple of other saints I just want to offer to you who, when I when I consider um, maybe what heaven looks like, as they look at me. I kind of consider them all gathered around looking at me, and I'm like, ooh, like, who are the key players right now? What's going on? Who's really interceding? The Blessed Mother's always there. St. Joseph's always there. St. Edith Stein's always there. But someone who I did not want to know and who I did not want to be friends with was St. Therese. Had this big idea that I wanted to do something awesome, be big myself, and here's St. Therese just talking, and talking, and talking about the little way. And I was like, what the heck? I don't want to be little. I want to be big. Um... And I railed against St. Therese. I did not want her as a friend. Imagine, okay, go back to like elementary school, right? You're there. And there's this person that just like keeps coming up to you like, hey, do you want to play? Hey, do you want to play recess together? Hey, can I sit next to you? And you're just like, can you leave me alone? Like I have friends. I'm good. That was me straight up to St. Therese a year ago. And what St. Therese understood, and as I, again, it's grace working that my heart softened as well as good trusted friends (laughs) encouraging me, there's something there for you, right? It's, It's bothering you so much that I think you need to be a little curious about it. That what St. Therese, what she talks about in being little is not because she's diminishing herself or the gift of what it means to be a human, but St. Therese recognizes that naming her littleness and her nothingness is actually permission for the Lord to do extraordinary things in her life. St. Therese, in saying, like, I want to take the elevator to heaven instead of the staircase is not saying, I'm lazy, I don't want to do it, but she's saying, Jesus, you are Lord. You are all-powerful, all-knowing. I give you permission to do whatever you want with my life so long as it brings you glory. That's humility. It's not, oh, don't pick me. Like, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to go next. Like, I'll, I'll wait my turn. No, it was a radical surrender. And at a time in the church, think about this, at a time in the church where there was such a fixation on, on justice and punishment and what we are doing, all Therese could talk about was the mercy of the Lord. Again, a particular saint at a particular time that the culture and the world around her needed there's so many more oh my gosh i could talk to you about so many saints that are beloved friends but in saint gianna beretta mola she is a more modern saint she was a wife and a mother and a and a medical doctor saint gianna as uh gianna before she was canonized made dinner for her family she changed diapers she saw patients um and she lived in her normal italian community there was nothing out of the ordinary about her life but in a moment of heroic sacrifice, when pregnant with her fourth child, she learned of a complication in pregnancy that would either result in the loss of her life or her child's, she chose that the child would live. And her daughter, Gianna, named after her is alive today and walks around this earth giving testimony of her mom, a living saint. Her mom, who for her siblings and her family members just made dinner and and change diapers, like she's a saint, right? To, to choose holy the, the present moment, to live holy the present moment, to, to actually see that that's where fortitude can come in. I'm so sick and tired of doing this. Many of us will be called to the vocation of marriage where the ordinary parts of life do not seem glamorous, but that's what the Lord wants to use to make you a saint. And as you read the letters between Saint Gianna and her husband, you recognize this beautiful love that is literally creating life between them. That's holiness. And it's something that has purified my understanding of what the sacrament of marriage is supposed to be, what it means for a husband to love a wife, to love her as Christ loves the church. That I've learned that from these people that lived in the 20th century. They wrote letters about it. We can read them. It's crazy. There are so many more. St. John, the beloved who went from desiring to be preferred to others to resting in the goodness of being the beloved disciple. Gosh, I look at him in the Gospels and he teaches me how to trust. He teaches me how to love. And above all, I'd be remiss not to mention the Blessed Mother, Queen of all the angels and saints. Man, there's any virtue you're struggling in, she's the Queen for a reason. Just, Just ask her to let you know. Consider what it looked like to accompany her son for three years in public ministry. As he was praised, celebrated, ridiculed, rejected, she saw and experienced all of it. As he was born a miracle in the manger and died innocent at Calvary, she saw all of it and she was there. St. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Our life is about being transformed into the person of Christ. It's no secret. That's why you exist. That's what you're made for. And it is so freeing to know that we are not alone in sorting out what that means for us. I want to leave you with an image. Um, I honestly can't remember if I read it or if I heard someone explain it in a podcast. So just trust me, Uh, it's beautiful. But I invite you all to just close your eyes if you're comfortable doing so and just consider the following. What does it look like to see heaven filled with the saints in their varying degrees of glory as they ascend up to the son of the father seated on the throne. Who do you see? Ask yourself who you see. Is it your confirmation saint? Is it St. Francis on his feast day today? Who do you see? What do they look like? Are they with their friends? And I want you to think for a moment that these different layers that you might see them on, these degrees of glory, actually have nothing to do with that person. It has everything to do with how they allowed Christ to transform their life. Who you see at the top, you see the Blessed Mother, maybe around her you see a saint you know and love, Saint Pope John Paul II, Saint Mother Teresa. In these degrees of glory, the closer we get to the source, to the center, we see Christ himself who is light. He tells us, I am the light of the world.